in our family, we don't get to watch TV very often. It just doesn't happen. TV can be a lot of fun. We don't get the opportunity to watch it very often. Every now and then we get to watch a show, and we, uh, like, it was like a week or two ago, saw um, an episode of something. I don't even remember what it was. And in that, uh, while we were watching the show, we saw a commercial that came on like three times. Like, it kept repeating. Same commercial. And it was this commercial about, um, uh, it was a Jeep commercial. And it was about uh, these people were stuck in traffic and they were late for a flight. And it said, your flight just, uh, you, you missed your flight. And so they go, they pull out of traffic and it's this like, they're going off-roading. And all you just keep hearing the GPS that told them they missed their flight saying recalculating. And every time it says recalculating, you see them taking another turn and on some other adventure. And they just decide to go and do something else because they missed their flight. And eventually they get to the top of this mountain. And it says something to the effect of like, in 15 seconds, you'll realize that the point wasn't the destination. Something like that. And I, when I uh, heard that, it made me think of this story in my own life about this trip I went on where I realized that the destination was totally not the point, but I didn't realize that at the time. Uh, I, this was almost, I, I won't say how long ago, this was right when I graduated from college and the Lord had called uh, me back here to Parker Ford at the, the old church building. And uh, I wasn't uh, part of a, a staff or anything, but was doing some teaching and leading worship, that sort of thing. And uh, my brother and I uh, have always been close friends. Well, eventually became close friends. And, um, and, and we love to travel and go on adventures together. And so he had lived overseas in Bangladesh for a few years um, and had worked with an organization over there, spoke the language. We had always wanted to go back there because there was this way south of where he lived, there was this island off the coast of Bangladesh that was completely uninhabited, and we wanted to surf on that island. So we pinched all of our pennies working all sorts of weird jobs or whatever, pinched our pennies trying to get money together to buy a flight to go to the other side of the world in order to surf in this place that we sensed had never been, through, that we had never heard of anybody surfing on before. So we did that. We saved up all the money, bought non-refundable tickets, and then we know it's coming, and it was this season. It was like right in hurricane season, and Hurricane Floyd came to Jersey, and I'm like, well, I got to get ready. And so I went out surfing at Hurricane Floyd, and I blew out my shoulder. And uh, dislocated my shoulder, ripped out the shoulder, and it was done. You know a little bit about that. I remember when we were talking about Ray with all of our shoulder issues together. Um, and so when I, I blew my shoulder, it meant that I, we couldn't go on this surfing trip. So now this whole thing, we had, dis- we had, we had these non-refundable tickets, and we're headed overseas, and yet we can't, our, the whole point of the trip is no longer available to us. So we decided, well, we've got to find another way to find something to have fun with while we're over there. So, Steve, can you put up the first picture? Here, this is a picture of me a long time ago in Bangladesh, and this is like, you can tell that I'm not really happy about what's going on around me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I have no, you know, here we are down in this area where we were supposed to go, and there's all these fishing boats around, and I'm like, what am I doing here? And uh, it was not very fun. The trip was not fun. But we came up with a plan. And we continued to pinch any pennies we could, and we got a bus, and we were on like an 18-hour bus ride, and then we were on a 20-hour train ride until we got to this next destination that, we're, that is a picture here 
okay? And this is in Nepal, in the Himalayas in Nepal. So we decided instead of surfing in ocean water where it's warm, we go to where it's freezing cold and high elevation and go uh, trekking on the Annapurna Circuit in the Himalayas. And we were supposed to go across that pass, see where that peak is all the way in the back. We were on our way, working our way up there, and it was like a 13-day trek, you know, up and around. Well, on the day before we were supposed to go through the pass, I got crazy sick. I ended up losing 30 pounds in a couple days and, uh, and I was just extremely sick and had to get flown out of uh, up in those mountains there. Had to get flown out to come back into the valley to, to try to be medicated. So there's this thing about this trip where I'm like, we had a really good idea of what we wanted to do. And every step along the way, we ended up in different countries. We ended up doing different things. And every step along the way, nothing, absolutely nothing turned out the way that we thought it would. And every time we thought this would be fun, that didn't work out. And it was just boom, 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 boom. In my office at home, on my desk, I have a picture from this trip that reminds me of this trip. This isn't a trip that I often want to remember When my brother and I talk about it, we laugh about all the craziness of this trip. What do you think the picture's of? Can you switch it, Steve? Oh, that's not it. Right here. Okay. Because I realized that looking back, the picture was the whole trip. What was the point of that trip for me when I look back? Man. Do I love sitting around and talking with my brother about that trip and how crazy it was? Because it was a shared experience that we had together. And it was something that allowed our friendship and our relationship as brothers to go to a whole other place. This moment right now that Brad just read for us about Abram and the story of Abram, this whole story is right here, chapter 17, is a picture that's hanging in God's office about the story of Abram. That's what it's about. And my guess is if Abram has, if Abraham has an uh, office in heaven, then he also has a picture of chapter 17. What I know is, is that Moses, who is most likely the one who's writing this story, who's looking back over the life of Abraham and who's writing the Pentateuch and writing the Torah, that he sees this story as the centerpiece. We told you that this whole story is written in a way that has the Hebrew poetry around it to make a center point that says this is the point of the story. And there's all these parallels in the story that act like a boomerang or act like an arrow. And at the very pinnacle of it, at the point of the poetry of Abraham's life, is this story right here, the covenant with God. The way it starts is absolutely spectacular. It says, when Abram was 99 years old. When he was 99 years old. Isn't that a great way to start the story? I mean, you're starting to to kick off the story. Yeah, when I was 99 years old. What? And um, one of the things about Uh, the markers of age in our life is we're supposed to be blown away when things happen kind of out of the norm as far as age range. I mean, I remember as a kid, there was a a guy who played ball for uh, Lower Marion, and he was a pretty good ball player, ended up playing for the LA Lakers, and he was the youngest guy to play in the NBA, and he ended up blowing every record out of the water. His name was Kobe Bryant. 
And I remember when he started playing, we're, there were so many people who were like, whoa, this guy's 18 years old and he can smoke anybody on the court. Like, it was amazing. That's, uh, that guy, he had, a, he had a dad who was a professional ball player. He had a great build for it. He had all sorts of things that were working for him. So there was a lot that was working together. But sometimes we get really blown away when you think about a kid. There was this kid, I don't know if you've ever heard of this kid, Christian Frederick Heineken total child prodigy genius by the time he was one year old get this one year old he had read the entire torah the entire pentateuch at one year old like what how is that even possible you know and stuff like that just blows our mind when we see young people do something that's well beyond their years there's something in us that's impressed but half the time at least that's not even about an overcoming spirit or a strong will. That's just about raw luck or God's favor or whatever you want to call it. But it's just the talent. It's just something that, that's in them, right? What's actually impressive is when someone who's way too old to be doing something is still doing it. That's what's impressive. That's what's amazing. At 99 years old. What is it about the 99 years old with Abram that is amazing about him? What's amazing is that his heart is soft enough to find, hear, listen, and follow God after all he's been through. Because he's been through a lot. He had been through a whole lot, especially in the last 29 years. That's how long it had been since he started this journey. He was 70 years old when he started the journey. And now it's 29 years later. He's been on the road down to Egypt, all around Canaan. His wife was with this guy. He was with that girl. Eh, mess. Lots of journey there. 29 years later, at 99 years old, all of a sudden, this story is going to start to make a whole lot more sense to Abram. It's going to start to make a whole lot more sense. All right, so what happens? What happens is it says, the Lord appeared to Abram. The Lord appeared to him. Now, this word appeared is a really interesting word because let me give you a little bit of the definition of what this means in the original. This, this word appeared, what it means is to realize or to consider. It's to cause to see, which in other words, the, the connotation of this word appear is that it was already there, but now you're, you can see it. It like comes to light. And so when it says that the Lord appeared to Abram, it, it's almost like God was there, but now Abram can see him. And what happens is, and, and this is the amazing thing. You, you know that kid, Christian Heinrich or Heineken or whatever, who can read the Pentateuch at age one. That's amazing. You know what's actually amazing is there's this guy, um, I can't even pronounce his name, this Japanese guy. At 100 years old, he climbed, uh, climbed Mount Fuji. 100 years old. Climb Mount Fuji. That's pretty impressive. That's an overcoming spirit. Now, still, you have to have the health to do it, which isn't, you know, but an amazing thing. What's amazing about Abram is after all of this stuff that has happened to his life, he doesn't get crusty. He doesn't get hard-hearted. He doesn't get dull of spiritually hearing. He's at the place where he's able to grow in his ability to hear from God. His heart gets more and more in tune with God. And I don't know about you, but when I have experiences in my life where things hurt, where there's 
pain. It's very easy to allow pain to go unprocessed, to allow uh, my, the hurt and the loss I have to not walk all the way through the grieving and get to a healing place. It's easy in my life when I've been jaded in a relationship to carry that with me and to be less trusting in a relationship moving forward. It's easy to kind of settle in for lesser joys in life instead of searching for the big thing in God when you have failed expectations time and time again. The thing with Abram is, at this point in his life, at 99, he's seeing better than ever. He's hearing better than ever. You remember the, the, the passage in Isaiah, there's that prophecy. It's one of the great prophecies of Scripture that gets repeated a bunch. And it talks about people who will be ever hearing, but never understanding. That will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And it keeps getting repeated throughout the scriptures. And there's this one spot where I think it's amazing how it gets repeated is in Acts chapter 28. And Paul's talking to the, to the Jews in Rome. And he gets all the way up to Rome and he's about to testify to Caesar. And he's been through all the journey in life. And he gets up there and he starts telling these people about the gospel. And they won't listen to him. And he's like so excited to tell them the gospel. And this is what he says. He quotes from that scripture, you will hear but not understand, see but not perceive. And then listen, this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes, they have closed. What's that look like? I I can't really hear well anymore. And my eyesight isn't that good anymore. And things are getting dull. It's that aging process when our bodies don't work quite as well anymore. But what this is saying is, Paul is saying to these Jews who were living in Rome, he's saying, this is what's happened to your spirit. Your spirit is growing, it's shrinking. And it's losing the ability to hear and the ability to see. And once you were on fire for the Lord and once you were looking for God everywhere, but now you're not seeing Him and your ears aren't tuned as well. We have this thing in our family where, uh, you know, I ask the kids, I say, what's the point of your life? What does God want from your life? And there's two things that we say. And I could probably ask Evan right now, but I won't embarrass him right now. And it's two things. It's two things. Know Him and show Him. That's it, right? In our relationship with God, and our purpose in life is to know Him and to show Him. Over here, we talk about it. We exist to reveal God's nature and to delight in His presence. That's what it says on the wall. That's we know God and we show God. And so what we'll do every now and then is we have that moment where we say, hey, where'd you see God working today? Where'd you know Him today? And some days, we have a list of things where we're like, ah, oh, this is what God was doing. It was awesome. But then there's other days where we're like, uh, wait. Where did I see God today? And we're trying to think of things, you know, because we weren't tuned in. And on the days that we're not tuned in, then we ask each other, we say, was God present and working or not? And the answer is yes. The question is, were we able to see him or not, right? And if we weren't able to see him, then what do we need to do? We need to ask him to open our eyes to see him more. Right? And we invite him to do that. And so then we pray and ask him, what's amazing about Abram, we're only in the first opening sentence of this passage, <laughs> the, what's amazing about Abram is this. 99 years old, and he sees better, and he hears better. I just want to ask you, right now in life, are you seeing God more clearly? Are you hearing God more clearly? 
Are you growing in your tuned frequency? Is your heart softer toward God? Or is it starting to get calcified and crusted a little bit? Is the pain getting to you? Is the, are, the, are the distractions of the lesser pleasures beginning to consume? Those difficult things, is it hard for you to overcome them and stay present with God? If so, it's not the end of the world. It's time to ask God to open your ears back up, to open your eyes back up, and to soften your heart so that you can walk in the joy of being in the journey with the Lord. Amen? So what does God say to Abram? It says Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, when those words are together, that means Yahweh. Moses is writing this. God hasn't revealed his name to anyone yet in this story, but he's revealed it to Moses. So you know, you know that he's the one writing the story looking back because he says Yahweh appeared to Abram, but Abram doesn't know that it's Yahweh. And it says, but when he does, he reveals himself with a name. And so he does give a name to Abram, and what he says is, I am God Almighty. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop. There it is. I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. It's up on the cross. El Shaddai. God Almighty. And this is his opening line with Abram. You want to start a relationship? This is how it's going to start with knowing that I am God Almighty. That's, he's everything. It all fits inside of God. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's in charge. He's the one with all the strength. It all starts with Him. God Almighty. In our journey with the Lord, this is where it starts. Everything in our relationship with God always starts with recognizing Him as God. And until we accept that in our heart, not just know it with our head, but until we accept that into our life, nothing else in our world or in our lives makes much sense. We actually have to receive the reality of God Almighty in my heart. Not just God Almighty who is over Irma or God Almighty who was there at the beginning and is there at the end. But what I mean is, is my knee has to bend to God Almighty if I will understand what my life is actually all about. Until I start with getting on my knees, recognizing that I am not my own, I was made for a purpose, and I am a created being, I am not the creator, until I get to that spot, then I can't see my life in context. And so the way this relationship with Abram and God is going to be defined is going to start with God saying, I am which is how he starts things. And then he says, God Almighty, start there. Okay, start there. And once he says that, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. The starting point, the entry point. This reminds me, before uh, we move on, is just this, that to receive God, to agree with the concept of there being a God Almighty, but to not have my life living in the reality of that. Is, is the thing that the scriptures talk about when it says having a form of godliness but denying the power that's within it. That's what it's about. It's people honoring with their lips but not with their life is another way the scriptures talk about it. And, and what that is is when I want to be right religiously 
And I want to be safe spiritually, but I don't want to submit to the game plan of my creator. And that's different. I'm not having a trusting, living relationship with God. I'm trying to check the box of making sure that I'm okay. You know, and there's a whole lot of real nasty religion happens when I'm just trying to check the box. A whole lot of beautiful life happens when I have a living relationship with God. And that's the, that's the difference between those two things. And so I can be cognitively, cerebrally, confessionally a Christian, but functionally an atheist. Where I'm living as if I'm an atheist, but I'm talking and believing, quote-unquote, like I'm a Christian. And that happens to any of us at any given moment, where we're not acknowledging God Almighty. We're not living under the reality, in the reality, of the fact that we belong to God Almighty, that we are His. Once we start seeing that, things begin to change. All of a sudden, September 17th, it's kind of a big day in the life of Parker Ford Church, right? Anybody know what happens September 17th? to make sure you're all listening. We have a, we have a yeah, it's Sunday. We have a conversation about about a pastor coming here, you know? That's September 17th. While that's important, if you believe in God Almighty, what you actually believe is more important is September 16th. Why? Cuz we're having a prayer vigil. Sunday morning where you get refueled on a Sunday, that's great. Tuesday night where we were having prayer meetings, more important. When it's about God Almighty, getting the right person here is good if it's who God wants here. What's more important is, unless God is honored and God is present and we're seeking God, it doesn't matter who comes or what happens, it won't work out the way it's supposed to unless we honor God, unless it starts with God Almighty. The relationship starts with God. It always does. It always starts with God. So, the last thing that Abram does in his life, the very last thing that Abram does in his life is in response to this. God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless and uh, that I may form my covenant with you, between you and me. And what does Abram do? Did you catch that when Brad was reading it? He falls on his face. I've seen that happen a few times when people fall on their face. It's one thing to do that unintentionally, like if you're skiing or, you know, you're running and you trip and you fall on your face. It's a whole other thing when you intentionally fall on your face. That's when he's choosing in his heart to agree with the fact that that's God Almighty. And when that happens, it's the last action of Abram's life. Why? Because after that, he will no longer be Abram. He will be Abraham. And his name gets changed and he gets a new identity. What's amazing about his new identity, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, and, and the picture of that word Abram, you know what Abram means? You probably have it in a footnote in your Bible if you're looking. Exalted father. Exalted father is what Abram means. He stops being the exalted father. Why? Because God's the exalted father. And the whole journey of this thing is that he's been moving to the place where he's part of the generational blessing of God. He's entering the family of God. He's no longer that. He's no longer the exalted one. God is. Now he becomes something else. Abraham 
which is the father of multitudes. So he becomes very fruitful. He goes down a notch and then becomes, his life is like totally blessed as he comes down a notch. You know, it's a pretty amazing thing. Now, what God says is walk before me and be blameless that I may form my covenant with you. This word blameless, we have a tendency here to think what God's saying is, all right, do everything right, Abram, and then we're good. You know, walk before me and be blameless so that I can have a covenant with you. And we have this tendency to think that God is like an OCD tax ma- ma- or a, a taskmaster who wants everything just perfect and make sure, Abram, that you get it right. And if you do, we're okay. As soon as that thing's out of line a little bit, we're not okay. And when we have that kind of picture of God, that's why we can't figure out human suffering and like how does a God who's like that who controls everything so much, not control the negative things in life. When in reality, God isn't like that at all. God is incredibly flexible. God is so creative. And God has the ability to take all of our mess and all of our craziness and mix it with all of his strength and his power and his grace and his justice and his redemption and to make something absolutely amazing and beautiful out of our lives through redemption. It's an amazing picture of God. So why does he saying, walk before me and be blameless? First of all, when he says walk before me, this is the idea of like serving in front of a king. Maybe you remember when John the Baptist went before the Lord walking before the Lord, making a way for him. So my life should walk out in front of God, not like I'm in front of God, like out in charge or anything like that. What it means is God's behind me. He's watching. And I'm like a child playing in front of dad and mom. And, and you're watching your child on the field or out there doing something, and, and God's saying, go out before me, and I will watch you, and I will cover you. And there's that picture of walk before me, and as you do, be blameless. This is like God being prophetic in Abraham's life. This is what I have for you. Have you ever had that moment where you were like fixing up a room in your house or something, and you finally got done? and everything was in order. Maybe if you're an interior designer, you get that moment a little more often than the rest of us, Barb, where uh, like the, the room's finally done, and you sit down, and you kick your feet up, and you look around, and you're like, ah, it's done. This is the way it's supposed to be. Or something else in your life that you've been working at, and it finally gets put in order, and you're like, ah. When God talks about righteousness and justice, It's not about, don't do that. What it's about is, there's a design for your life where it's supposed to work super well. And it's that moment where when God brings things into order the way they're supposed to be, ah, yes, I'm free. I'm in flow with God. And that's God's call over our lives. And that's why he says, walk before me and be blameless. Now, he wants to form his covenant with Abraham. And this should look to us like, What other covenants do we engage in on a regular basis in our society? Okay, so marriage is kind of the central one, right? So if you think of this in terms of a wedding, it gives you some picture of it. Think of an adoption. Because in this situation, it's not marriage is really about two co-equal people becoming one flesh. This is much more like then you have adoption where it's like you have children who are coming into a family where there's parents in charge and then you separate that more and you're like, there's God Almighty and I'm choosing to be his follower, his worshiper, okay? And so when we look at this, this is a covenant that's being formed that's sacred and yet it's coming in at a different level than a marriage. 
And, um, and this is the picture of God inviting Abram into the future generational blessings of God's family. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. When God gives Abram a new name, all of that is based on the fact that Abram has now decided that my life is no longer my own. I'm going to let God define my life. And once God defines his life, then his primary objective, his goal, is to believe God. It is impossible to please God without having faith in him, which means the very first thing I need to do is trust God, trust that he's good, that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So who does God say that you are versus who does your family say that you are versus who does your, those other inner voices say that you are? You know, but the deep voice of God that names us and says this is who you are, that's obviously the starting point of our Christian life is to believe and to receive our new identity in Christ. To the extent that we do that, we end up being fruitful. You know, the whole fruits of the Spirit thing is like if you have a branch on a tree and you try to squeeze more sap out of the branch, it doesn't work to get fruit. By digging in in the roots, you gain what you need in order to produce the fruit. Abraham is going to become a multitude of nations, but that doesn't happen, obviously, by working really hard to have a bunch of kids. That's never worked out for him. What he has to do is trust God. And as he trusts God, God makes him fruitful. Okay? Now, in that process, here's the blessing. Here's the amazing thing about the blessing. Who was Abraham's blessing for? The the, the blessing that God gave to Abraham in this covenant. Who's it for? His dependents. All who depend on him and who come after him, his offspring. If God came to you right now and said, I have this amazing blessing for you. It's like six billion bucks, man. And it's all the talents you can imagine. I'm going to give it to your great-grandchildren after you die. That's exciting. What if he said, I can give it to you now, or I can give it to them then? What do you want? What makes you more excited? See, the thing about... God's blessing over his covenant people is always this. The family of God is rooted in love. And the core of God's heart is that it's more blessed to give than to receive, which is why when God gives us a spiritual gift, what is the purpose of that gift? To serve the body of Christ with the gift. God gives us the ability to give to others. And when I'm thinking in terms of love, how can I bless others? How can I bless the next generation? How can I bless future generations? How can I bless those on the other side of the earth who are in deep suffering? When I'm thinking in those terms, all of a sudden, I have the ability and the capacity to receive and see how much God is blessing me. But when what I want is for God to bless me my way, then oftentimes I don't see the blessing that God is already giving to me. Because God is giving me the capacity to be a part of his family, which is loving and blessing. But I'm like, I don't really care about that. (laughs) I really care about things being cool for me right now. And when I'm in that place, I have a hard time seeing and receiving the full blessing that God wants to give to my life. 
But when I'm saying, God, man, how will you bless my kids and my grandkids? God, how will you bless those suffering in North Korea right now? God, how will you bless them? And then when I hear those, and when I'm, when I'm praying and seeking God's blessing, what I will find is it becomes an extremely joyful thing for me to understand how God wants to help me be a loving blessing to others. So, all right, we need to bring this thing around. There is a covenant that's formed, and as Brad was praying about the covenant this morning, he said, thank you that we're a part of a new covenant. And this is, the, this is one of the central passages. There's probably three central passages in the entire Old Testament, and this is one of them, okay? And the, a very, very central passage in the, in the Old Testament. This sets the stage for a covenant that we get to enter into. This here is a physical covenant. Some say, why in the world would the sign of the covenant be circumcision? You know, we won't get into the details of that other than just to say this. The blessing for Abraham was in reproduction. So the circumcision was going to be connected to reproduction. That in that place, there was a reminder that all the future generations, that the blessing has to do with God, not just with man. In the same way, God has called us to be spiritual blessings in our world, to form a spiritual covenant with him. And in the same way that Abram, there was a sign of the covenant like circumcision, we also have signs of the covenant. They have to do with baptism and communion. And those covenants, when they're sealed, we are told that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and that there is a fruitfulness that comes to us, both in terms of the fruit of the Spirit and also in the multiplication of disciples who will obey the Father. And when that takes place, there's an anointing put on our lives where we have the capacity through the Holy Spirit and the blessing from God to be those who bring reproduction in the family of God, spiritually speaking, as we reveal the character of God through the fruits of the Spirit and as we speak the message of God, inviting people into that covenant with him. And that's the call for us in the New Testament. All of this was a foreshadow of that uh, earlier covenant or or of the later covenant that was to come so um for you guys today for all of us today i don't know how this journey started for you for me it started about 25 years ago when some of my friends at school asked me to go out onto high street and tell other people about jesus and I was walking around High Street when it used to be a cruise strip, and I was telling them about Jesus, and I watched people coming to Christ and having these profound experiences in their life, and I'm looking at them and realizing I never had the experience that they had. <laughs> and I'm telling them the gospel, but they're actually receiving the gospel. And it's transforming their lives. For me, I was like, wow, I've known this message for a long time, but I haven't experienced what they're experiencing. I went on this journey after that where I thought God had all sorts of plans for me to do stuff for him in the process. When you travel with God and you submit your family to him, you submit your life to him, you submit your decisions to him and you keep chasing him, at some point there's a moment where you start looking at your life and you start saying, huh, I think that God pulled a fast one on me like he did to the disciples when he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And yeah, I mean, he did make them fishers of men. But the point wasn't just that they were going to be fishermen. The point was that they were going to know God.
And for each and every one of our lives, we have the amazing privilege of being deeply connected to God. If you want to be warm, you stand next to a fire. This is a C.S. Lewis quote about this. If you want to be warm, you stand next to a fire. If you want to get wet, you jump in water. If you want eternal life, you don't ask God for eternal life. You get close to God. And then how could you not have eternal life? Whatever the journey is, the Christian journey, the Christian faith, it is not about some objective that God wants to fulfill in our lives. It's not about something that we have to accomplish. The core of it is like right now for Abram, where he's looking at it and he's like, now I know why I'm on this journey. God wanted me to know Him and to form a deep relationship with Him. And the whole point of my life is to experience the journey with God and to know Him deeply. Are you in touch? Are you in tune with Him? Are you connected with Him? Are your ears softer? Are your eyes more open to God? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this moment in the kingdom. We thank you for the moment that, uh, that you offer to us, which you say in Hebrews is called today. There's tomorrow, which we don't have to worry about. There's the past, which we're supposed to forget. And then there's today. And you say that today is the day of rest and we're called to enter in to our connection with you. So God, we thank you for Abram, who was willing to go to Egypt and willing to go to Canaan and willing to leave his family. And and through all of the bumps and bruises and nastiness of his life, grew more in tune with you. God, I just ask for you to move profoundly across each and every one of us, God, that as we're stepping, whatever the hurts are in our lives, whatever the demands are in our schedules, whatever it is that, Father, you would post that picture, you would frame that picture and hang it on the wall of our minds and our hearts, that the core of our lives, that the very center of what we're all about is this invitation from God Almighty who says, come and be a part of my family. Serve me. Put your life in context. Give it over to me and I will reinvent the fullness of who you are inside of me. We invite you, God, to lead us in that way. We thank you and praise you that uh, you have started that journey for us with a cross and that you will finish that journey with an invitation into eternal glory. We thank you for it and for this moment. In the name of Jesus, amen.